Hello, I'm Tom Boyd, and you're listening to the 90 Minute Cynic. Hello and welcome to the 90 Minutes Cynic Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gallagher. Um, joined, as always, by Louis McCaffrey. Yes, the right owl, the housewife's favourite. You look like you're in an emo band, which is the best look you've had it's in years. only to hide this hair, because it's absolutely horrendous. That is long. insane. Can someone uh, tweet a picture of that? Because that is no, unbelievable. No, that's too bad. Louis McCaffrey, pleasure as always. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Keith McGinty, hard G. Good evening, Christopher. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, Kieran Harpoon Haran. Good evening. Fight train. A uh, little intro from, from our friend, uh, close friend of the show, Tom Boyd. And all-round nice guy. All-round nice guy, Thomas. Uh, happy with... Uh, have a, we had a meet-down, we had a sit-down with him, very gangster style, um, but he knew... He knew what the we went to his turf. Went to his turf. Um, little sat down. So in, yeah. So what we did was we ha- we interviewed Tom. Uh, we sat down. We filmed it. So it was about an hour and ten minutes or so. So we're going to release that as a podcast at some point coming soon. We're also going to release it as a video as well for YouTube, so you can actually just see the actual interaction with them. And I'm going to type it up for the next edition of the supp- supplement, which should be coming out round about the end of May. I wonder what we could possibly be writing about towards the end of May. Yeah, I mean, t- tell us about the supplement, Keith, because you're the, the, the sub-editor, aren't you? Sub-editor. I am basically Christian's uh, gopher. I have to do whatever he tells me. Um, you better start bossing him. You can't let him do that to you. English isn't his first language for a start. Oh my God, spell check something. Come on, guys. Um, we're doing really, really well. We're on to our third edition uh, will be the next one at the end of May. Um, we've got about 12, 13 writers um, just now. Had some more people applying to it tonight as well, so we're, we're always looking for more people to join up. Um, Boud has managed to get us a template for how to do it, as a, to be able to download as a PDF, which looks really, really smart. If you haven't downloaded it already, you can download it at the 90 Minute Cynic website. Is that the second episode as well, or is that just the first? Just the first one. I'm currently trying to use the same template that, that Boud's done, try to put that into PDF, so in a couple of weeks maybe be able to get that finished, and then we'll get started on the the third edition. It, it's a it's a really great um it, it, the work that goes into it's is phenomenal and you know you and Christian are doing a hell of a job about obviously with the the design as well. Um Kieran and Louis and myself we are kind of focused more on the podcast at this point but I'm sure we could maybe drop in an, an article or two but Louis you're looking to get back yeah, into the writing you know, world. You never know. That's you no know. then. That's definitely a no. <laughs> no, do you know what one day I will. 
But I, don't, I can't give you any guarantees as to when. Yeah. But some, sometime I'm going to write something. I've really enjoyed reading it, though. I think it, it looks fantastic. The the PDF that, that Bowd done put a lot of work into was fantastic. And if he'd stopped getting out of the weekend, he'd probably get a second one done pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, four, four, four or five day hangovers. I'm sure he's still struggling at this point in time. Um, but no, 90minutesinic.com um, is where you can go to download uh, episode one, episode one, um, the first edition of the, the, the supplement as a PDF. But you can also see the second edition um, as a collection of different articles on the website. And just to say, what, uh, like the, one of the best things about it is the fact that the majority of articles aren't time specific so it's not as if you're going on there to read stuff about yeah. you know the last week's football yeah. you, you can you can dip in and out it's more about, you've it's, got time yeah, it's, a, it's a feature sort yeah, of presentation there's some fantastic articles there's a it. terrific one about Marco Van Basten good one there there's a quite an important one about Luis Enrique um, we've got ones about the history of Celtic especially leading up to the, the Lisbon Lions just now which has been quite good from Who? Andy Dugan um, we've got ones about uh, we've got some interviews, Norwegian football, statistical what? based analysis. With Morris Ross, we've got an interview with Morris Ross. I think that you're trying, you're avoiding the the name. I did. Um, Morris Ross. Um, a yeah. really good one about um, <laughs> Let's move on Brazilian football. Um, I forget the, the the guy's name. One of the original attacking wing backs. Really, really interesting piece to, to read as well. Get on there, 90minutesinic.com, have a look through the, the articles. And a, and a massive thanks to Tom Boyd for, and, and genuine point, thanks for t- to Tom Boyd for giving up his time. He gave us up a lot of time, took us around the, the sort of uh, the stadium as well. And uh, we'll let you know, follow us on Twitter, at 90 Cynic, and you will be able to see the, the upcoming uh, Tom Boyd interviews and stuff. Um, but we're going to open with, normally we talk about the, the game straight away, but we want to open with... I think everyone um, in the Celtic world, Celtic community, when they saw that the press conference on Friday was moved from uh, the training pitch from Lennox Town to... Like John Collins. What? Training pitch. Shut up. Training ground to... Shut up. Um, Drop and get me 20. <laughs> uh, no, but when it was moved, to, you know, the, the, the press conference was delayed and it was moved to the, you know, Parkhead... There was lots of different sort of theories and thoughts about it, what it was, um, but it turned out it was uh, Brendan Rodgers signing a four-year deal. Kieran Haran, the freight train. What does uh, what does it mean for Brendan Rodgers to commit himself for the next four years? What does it mean to you as a Celtic fan? Oh, it's immense. I actually was genuinely excited when I read that um, at my desk at work. On a what are you not working for? Because there was an important news coming out, and I paused. My work and go out my phone and looked, but I actually did. I did generally get a kind of bit of excitement to think of the fact of it just shows you how much Rogers wants to be at the club by committing four years. Now, there's no coincidence that four years down the line, what will that achieve at the end of it? What he alluded to on the at the end of the game on he Saturday, was stretching his fingers. Stretching his fingers. See, this is this is your cynical side. Of you. But he, he's talked about he wants to leave a legacy now. There's no bigger legacy than ten in a row. True. So he, the, I think he, he, he marks that as that's going to be my legacy. The Champions League, realistically, we could potentially try to get to the last sixteen, but we're not going to get any further because we're just engulfed by the, the, the kind of finances of the other bigger clubs. But ten in a row is something that really means something to the fans. One of the fans, the fans really, really want to have, um, and I mean, it'll be in Celtic history forever. Um, He'll be in Celtic history forever, Louis. Thoughts on that? 
Uh, I would be I. I just uh, no. I'm I'm delighted with the news. Obviously, I I've been one. Maybe it's because uh, I'm a ninety-minute cynic. Who knows? But um, I know that we looked at each other at one point and we're like, "How long is he going to be here?" Realistically, yeah, exactly. And and sometimes I've thought, looking at him, he he doesn't. You know, he talks about he talk he talks so much about developing and and the team developing. But he's obviously a guy who wants to develop himself professionally. And there's sometimes maybe earlier on in the season. To be fair, I've looked at him and thought. Is this maybe just a bit too easy for you? Like you don't really look that excited. To be fair, now that, that is, I'm, I'm sure that is just how he, he maybe looked after a game or whatever. Um, and it, it's clearly different inside. I mean, what he's the the some of the comments he's came out with in the last couple of weeks, and it's very very clear his affection for the club, and and he seems very settled in his his personal life up here and things like that. And for him to to come out and sign a four-year deal is is massive. I mean, obviously, we don't know if he's gonna if he's gonna stay for the duration of the four years. We would all hope that he will. We would all love that. But at the same time, four years is a hell of a long time in football, um, and he could end up, you know, one of the the bigger teams down in England and may come in for him, and he may give him an offer he, he can't refuse. But it, I suppose it gives the club an insurance policy as well, so he, it's not as if he can he can leave and, and we're not going to get a lot of money for him. We would get a, a good compensation out of it if he was to leave, but let's enjoy it for what it is yeah. just now, you know. Cool. I was going to say as well, what, what an even bigger sign of the fact is of his commitment, well, the players will look to him and go, do you know what, you're committed to four years, I know that you're here and you've got a job you want to do and I want to be part of that and it gives a it gives a, it gives a kind of stability for the, the team that a few players like Dembele might just go do you know what I'd be happy to see him for another year develop even further yeah I think I think as well as guys like Scott Sinclair who um, know that you know they just want consistency someone like Scott Sinclair who's been out of the sort of you know first team first team uh, picture for so long but the clubs he's been they would just be looking for consistency um, again as you know this is something I wanted to tweet out we are the 90 minute cynic we are we are looking at a more cynical side of football so if we do moan and gro- grope <laughs> if we do moan and gripe it's because that's kind of our nature and that's the reason we started the podcast but you can't really gripe about this but one point I would say is um Brendan Rodgers is the manager and you saw what happened to him when he was at Liverpool I'm not saying that it's going to turn sour at Celtic of course not I, I I can't see how, um, with the how far we are that, you know, it could turn sour to the point where we would turn around and say we don't want you to be the manager anymore. But football's football, so you never know. Keith, what are your kind of thoughts on it? We might be the the night minute cynics, but we're also the positive podcast. And like we all whoa, agreed, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you talking about positive podcast? <laughs> Is this because our manager's not here? <laughs> um, we all agreed. Um, it's a fantastic sign for what's about to come. Um, we were talking yesterday, it feels like it is just the beginning of something big. It's like the time when Martin O'Neill came in and started to build that team, just starting to get stronger and stronger. I'm really looking forward to the the summer transfer window. I think we'll get even more uh, pace into the side, more strength into the side. I don't know where we'll be developed, but I can see that's where we're going to be focusing on. On Friday, I actually took my wee boy down to, to the stadium um, and we managed to get a, a, a picture with him. 
he was delighted himself. He took five minutes. He was trying to sneak out in the, the Do you know who wasn't delighted? Your son, because he had no interest <laughs> in that picture whatsoever. He looked like a wee uh, Green Brigader, didn't he? He, he, did. had a, he had a wee scowl on his face. Um, but Rogers took five minutes, making sure that all the kids themselves, first of all, get their picture taken with him, first of all. Um, he gets Celtic. He gets what the club means to the fans. And I think he understands. I'm not saying that he's always been a, a massive Celtic fan growing up in that way, of course. But once you get into football, you've got to become desensitised to your own team. He gets what we're about, though. And I think he's thoroughly enjoying his time here. I think he's been given some assurances if he's managed to sign this four-year deal that he's going to be able to invest in the squad and develop us so that we're not just a... Also runs. Ah, so in, ter- in terms of Champions League. I th- yes, I, I, we're going to be a, a club, formidable club that teams are going to not enjoy playing against in Europe. We might not win every game, we might not do exceptionally well, but we're going to be a tough team to, to play against and we're going to be a European standard side. It'll be, it'll be, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the summer transfer window now because right away, you know, trying to attack, attract top talent, you know, try to get another Sinclair or uh, another Dembele, it's going to be a lot easier when they know the manager's there on a long-term deal. I mean, if if they turn around and say, well, you know, how long are you here for? Well, I'm on a one-year contract. It doesn't quite give you the same assurance. So it'll be interesting to see how much of an effect that has. And and the other thing is, there is nobody better manager-wise. There's no one you would rather have selling the club to a potential player. I mean, he, he's, he's so emotionally invested in it that... I honestly believe, yes, he's Brendan Rodgers and, and he's a name that players want to be managed by, but he also knows everything about the club and can really be impassioned when he's when he's talking about it and trying to get them to sign, so but, it's important. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And see, on that point about selling, selling the club, um, he does, he, see the way he speaks, he's like, he, I know this is going to bring it back to wrestling, but he it's not like he's, see his press conferences, it's like he's cutting promos. It's like everything he says is relevant. He gets rid of all the sort of fluff that goes with it and he hits a point almost with every sentence. There's a word or a point that really means something. Yeah. And I can imagine him sitting with uh, you know, a, a potential signing and just not only selling Celtic, um, because obviously you have to sell the club, but selling the philosophy of how we play football. and you know. But not only that, the opportunity. And this is the key thing. If I'm a professional footballer, and what do you want to do? You want to play in Europe. Celtic, as much as it takes Brendan Rodgers to, you know, sell the club to us, the club sells itself in a lot of ways. It's just him nuancing what how the club is, how the club is, and how it's perceived. And I think that's something that if we've got him for, if we do have him for the next four years, if we do have him for ten in a row, um, I think that I, I don't, I, to think I'm very excited about where we're going to be, and I'm excited about this journey. I've always struggled to understand why more players from down south don't come up to well, Celtic and Rangers when Rangers were strong at the time and challenge for the, the, the title, get some trophies, get some medals and then go back down south because we're a great stage for them to come up to to challenge themselves in Europe and to to get game time and develop as players. Two, two words, two words, Kieran. Zoltan Gira. So Zoltan Gira um, came in when he was at, um, at, when he was a free agent. Right when he was just about to leave Fulham, um, so he came up to Celtic and Celtic spoke to him. And Celtic were very interested. Celtic said, 
European football. I can't remember who the manager was. I think it might have been Neil Lennon. Maybe. Uh, anyway, we were at a very strong point. We were in Europe, come up, sign for us for two years. Give us two years, you'll play in the Champions League. At worst, you'll play in the Europa League. Um, here you go. You, we're not, we're not going to give you the same wages, but you know, get involved. And he signed for West Brom. And that's all you need to know on that. Not West Brom, that eighth. Just now, they seem to be doing quite well. This is when they were. This is when, yeah, this is when they were. Was that around the time uh, we signed Diamante Kamara? When they were both. Not going with both of them? Maybe maybe it was. Kamara came up, whereas Gugira decided not to. Yeah, and it's just. Ultimately, we can't attract players who are are primarily driven by money, and and we don't want those players. No, that's that's the point. I think there's been a big. I think there has been a big change, not a big change, but I think there has been a change in recent years with the young players down in England. Say, like the likes of Paddy Roberts um, or the boy Madison who was at Aberdeen, even the boys uh, Tarao and Heinemann that are at Rangers just now. I mean, these are players who I think there is a massive big. Uh, crop of these players who have potential to be very good, but know that because of the cl- the size or because they're down in England at these big clubs, the chances of them getting to play for those clubs is going to be very difficult. So they have to go out on loan and prove themselves somewhere. And coming up here and playing for, you know, even Aberdeen, but playing. First team football week in week out in a competitive league, which which the the SPL or whatever it's called now is, then <laughs> called it for the last two years. Then you know that that really is going to help your career. You if you have the chance to come up here and play for Celtic or any any one of the clubs really in the top top four or five six in Scotland, that is going to serve you so much better at that point in your career than playing. You know, reserve team football down in England. Yeah, and and I think more more young players are starting to realise that. Yeah, I think that the, the point that you, you nailed it though when you said we don't want players who don't want to play for us, and that's it. Like, if you don't get Celtic, we don't want you here because, frankly, to walk out at Parkhead um, during a Champions League night, even a Europa League night, nothing you know bring, brings goosebumps to you. you might think as well, Some players they actually might be scared of the pressure. Did you hear about? You hear about, um, for instance, players who came up, like Kevin Wilson was one of them, he said, I never really appreciated just the pressure you have when you're playing for Celtic or Rangers. Yeah, keep going. Um, So I wonder if if some of the youngsters down there kind of have that in the back of their mind and go, I would rather stay here, play reserve football, get decent money, then go up to Scotland, then have the pressure of having to win every single game and... Possibly not being able to be out and about in the street without getting kind of harassed and harangued. That, that, that might start a wee bit of fear in some of their minds. It's all, it's, it's all mentality and coming out of their comfort zone. If you're getting paid stupid money down there, and you know you're you've got all your pals around you, unless you're a very dri- you're very driven professionally and want to do really really well in your career, a lot of these players will just sit tight. But take, I, th- I think the money. I think what Kieran's saying, and I, I agree with you, is it's. A lot of them just probably don't want the hassle. Just don't want the hassle of having to uproot and go to Scotland. Having to, I, I don't know, it's not obviously not far, but you know, there's a lot of hassle. Anyway, talking of um, football, mm-hmm. fans of that, uh, we've got two kind of games to kind of look back on. Um, I want to talk about the Thistle game because 
there were reported booing. <laughs> there was reported ghosts, as um, Keith is. <laughs> no, there was reported booing. Now, um, Kieran's looking at me with a dismayed look. I can't think I've remembered hearing that at Parkhead. At Parkhead. Um, I'm not saying, again, I, I didn't hear any. Um, we go to the games, we didn't hear anything so, at the, the game. So there was reported booing. Um, but if nothing else, the crowd were a little bit frustrated, mm-hmm. um, which again is fine. Uh, what do you what did you kind of take from it, Keith? The game itself, it finished one each. Um, Scotty, Scotty Sinclair. Um, I don't know why I wanted the Ronnie Dyla voice there. Um, what did you think of the game? Um, do you know it's, it's to be? It's quite understandable that we put so much effort into going through the league um, and winning the league without being beat. That once we made some changes. There'd be a wee stutter or wee jitters. We're still unbeaten. But I think what was the problem was just that the, the, the style of play hasn't been as good as it has been recently. Um What changes? What changes, Keith? Was it five changes? Yeah. Um Both fullbacks, Izzy and um Gamboa came Gamboa in. Came in. Uh, Kwasi didn't look too strong at the start, but tended came into again. Aye, certainly. But um, we're still struggling with it without the striker up front as well, so we're we're not really a settled side just now. I think people are a wee bit touchy because we know that we are so close to getting a possible treble, and this semi final game is coming up. We're hoping to be going into it where we're we're raising our game that the the form's starting to get a wee bit better. Um, I think people were just that have been spoiled a wee bit at the the games this season, and the ones that we're getting a wee bit. Nancy. Shouty and Nancy and <laughs> just rein it in. Aye, that this will set up really well. And I've said this about quite a f- number of um, Scottish sides this season. They're fit, they're well um, set out, and they tend to close down the space where we like to play. We're not playing fast enough. We're not moving them about enough. We've missed Rogic, who's starting to come back as well. Oh God, we have, Keith. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> get there, we'll get there later. Though. Look at I think feet. Scott Brown as well. I think, see when Scott Brown's not on the team, I think a lot of kind of drive comes out of the team. I Agreed. think a lot of players don't really know who to look to then. It's not so much just of a kind of captaincy level. I think it's just his energy levels. Yeah. At his age, he's still been able to move things about. And at times you can see he does move the ball pretty quickly. With the ball, he doesn't seem to hang on to it too much. The minute he gets it, he wants to get, get yeah, off he wants to move it. Whereas you look at Bitton, takes the ball, kind of wants to hover a little bit about with the, the, the ball at his feet. But Brown's always, and he's always kind of getting the players moving. Um, so I think whenever he doesn't play, you do see a drop in the kind of the levels. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with that fully. I think that um, when Brown's there, um, he sometimes does the work of two guys, in my opinion. And, and I think if you look at the team as a whole, if... You look at that Celtic team, who can we not do without? Um, we went a bit of time without Kieran Tierney, we went a bit of time with Scott Sinclair, we went out a bit of time without um, Armstrong and Dembele and obviously Griffiths. When, we're, when we've, we've kind of managed to work without those players, but when Scott Brown's not there, and that's why I'm not saying Scott Brown should get Player of the Year, but what I'm saying is Scott Brown is probably the most vital and valuable player of the year. He doesn't have, you know, he can't do he can't do stuff the way that Roger can do it. He can't pull something out of nothing. He can't, he's not got that pace that Sinclair has, but he's so constant and so consistent this season that without him, I think you're missing a major, major cog in your machine. Armstrong didn't start the Partick Vessel game, did he? He did not. He came on. Him and Roger came, came on. He came on later. Which completely unbalanced us because they took off Izzy. Mm-hmm. But, but the thing is, you know, 
we on that game obviously he made all the changes he made he made and and whether he got those right I I think is personally I think is up for debate because you had um you had your back four oh, I know we played three at the back I'm not getting into that debate but I'm saying Kieran Keith each other four, four, uh, four defenders and then you have two defensive midfielders proper defensive midfielders and Beaton and Abu um and when you're talking about the energy and drive that Brown gives you when you don't have that, you miss it. But see, when you don't have that and you don't have the drive and energy of Armstrong as well, then you really are dev- devoid of it. Because Beaton and Abui... Now, Abui does seem to be going going forward a wee bit more. Now, I, I, it was my first time seeing him uh, at the weekend there and I was actually impressed, but I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that game later. But I think it, it was maybe too defensive in terms of the players that were playing were maybe too defensive minded. I know the wide the, the, the wing backs were wing backs and they were attacking, but at the same time we were kinda maybe lacking something in the Partick Fissile game. Um but why, why? We, we need just going back to the point about Scott Brown. Scott Brown is at that stage of his career. Now he's he's been so good this year we would all expect him to be playing for another maybe one or two seasons but still within Rogers reign if he's going to do the 10 Rogers reign Kieran I like that right? within like that, that period of time we're going to have to solve the the replacement the, the replacement for Scott Brown and who do, who is that and I would say that, again. <laughs> I, w- I would say that Stuart Armstrong will not replace him in terms of his position or what he does, but he'll replace him in terms of his energy and his setting the bar for the rest of them to, to, to follow. Yeah, I, I that's, an, that's an excellent point, and that's something I think we're going to talk about more and more as, obviously, the, the season kind of comes to a close. Um, the point... I, I just, I've got a... Sorry, there's a... Just, to, here. Well, you, you uh, just to say about Scott Brown then, I thought at the weekend he was looking a wee bit tired, even though he'd missed out in the, the Thistle game. There was a couple of times, uh, one moment I noticed that Rogers wasn't quite happy with him was when the Kilmarnock player was running down the wing and instead they tried to Jones, track him. He just he just pushed him out of the park. Aye. He should have got a yellow card for that. Yeah, that, was a, that was a shocking talent Rogers, actually. Aye, Rogers shook his head as if it was just stupidity. Um, there was another time that I think one of the only shots that Kelly got, but the, the boy actually out-muscled. Uh, Brown Brown was the wrong side of him. They managed to drive that, into That himself. was just before their goal, and it was the boy who actually uh, was no. Was it just before? No, their no, goal? it was the first. No, half. Uh, it was in the first half, and it was this, it was the boy who scored their goal. Though, yes, um, and he, he did have a great run. But Scott Brown was totally the wrong side of him, and, and he, this is where I'm he, worried. He done enough to put him off. To be fair, and the boy's shot was was well wide. He did do enough to put him off, but he I would agree with you. I think he was. Maybe a wee bit tired. Should they be playing the Scotland games? Is that where he should be getting that wee bit of rest and recuperation? Um, he wants one more game. He just wants to play that England game, and that'll be him. That's it. Yeah, that is it. Once that's gone, I think you'll. Scot- Scotland are on a game by game basis in this group. Um, the next time we lose, is we're out. So yeah. I don't. I can't see he's being England. He, want, he wants to be there for for Gordon Strachan. I don't think it's so much Scotland. It's Strachan. He wants. He wants to do uh, be there you, for. I, I, so when Strachan goes. I think he'll, he'll Scott quite Brown, happily step aside. Scott Brown's pretty much done everything in the game that a sort of Celtic captain can do. Won league titles, played in Europe, um, done really well. The only thing that I think would be missing from him from a personal point of view would be to beat England. 
Yeah. So to beat them at Hamden, I think, I think is as much. I agree with you with the striking thing, but to beat them at Hamden on a Saturday or it's a Saturday afternoon, isn't it? Um, would be perfect. Just can I just yeah, keep just on Scott Brown. Um, I, I I was thinking at the weekend, watching him at the game. The, the the big thing, and, and we've spoke about it for years, is his big deficiency is his passing. Now, yes, if it's short range passing to a guy's feet, he's fine. He can do that. He's fine. But if it's medium to long range and he's passing into space, he's hopeless. And at the game, the game at the weekend, there was a number of times when he tried to play the ball over the top trying to play it into space, but it, it was never along the ground, it was always kind of over the top, and I think he only, he, he, someone maybe got in the end of it, maybe once or twice, but there was a number of times he just gave the ball away, and I can't I can't help but think, you know, Brendan Rodgers talks about his getting to the next level and becoming a real team in Europe and all that, can we really afford that? Because he, he was essentially, if you like, the kind of, a kind of deep line playmaker. He had a lot of time on the ball, and he kept getting the ball because he's, he likes to kind of take it from the defence. Yeah, but it was it was almost as if he was the playmaker. Now that may change when you've got Roger in the team and you get it to him. But f- you've got to have someone who can who can be that kind of deep line playmaker. And Scott Brown is not going to be that man. Okay, I'm- it's maybe an area that we need to if we really want to get to the next level. He's going to need to be replaced I'm, with a better quality, Scott Brown. I'm going to bring in uh, Kieran, but I want to this question specifically for you, um, and it's on this sort of subject. It's from Stephen Hughes. Evening, gents. Always a gentleman himself. Um, don't get all the Armstrong Player of the Year chat. Didn't play regularly until November, then missed February out. Um, then missed February out injured to Calmac. For me. Um, I'll be honest. I've actually, you know, as someone who's been very critical of Callum McGregor, I, I think he's, he's he's improved. I think he's over the last four or five games. I've seen, I still see those deficiencies, still see them. But you know, if he can, part of that is because you're looking for them. No, part of that is because he's completely confirmation bias. No, it's absolutely not because I want to like him. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I want Callum McGregor to be successful. Again, every time I criticise a Celtic player, I want nothing more for them than to rub it in my face. Um, Humble pie, that is. See, see for me personally, I thought Callum McGregor, Callum McGregor, I think, should have been man of the match at the weekend. I think Callum McGregor was better than Armstrong at the weekend. Well, and he, he certainly he, he certainly made less mistakes than what Armstrong made. Now Armstrong scored the goal, and I'm not saying that Armstrong wasn't good. But one of the things I noticed it was just purely from from the position I was in the stadium. I, had a, I was up very very high, right at the back wall, pretty much, and I had a great view of things. Um, and it was it was on the Jock Steen stand, so I, I, it was great to kind of see how the players were moving about. And certainly the the first half. Um, especially the first kind of 25, 30 minutes, we were passing it sideways, constantly sideways, um, trying to find gaps. And They had 10 men behind the ball. But the thing was, they had those two very defined lines of defence and there was only really two players that were trying to break those lines and it was Cal McGregor and Stuart yeah. Armstrong. Now, Stuart Armstrong was doing it a lot at the start of the game. 
he's obviously he's he's that way inclined anyway. Whether it would be to square a guy up and beat him to 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 break through himself or slide a wee ball in, and there was there wasn't many players. Scott Brown was trying it, but as I said earlier, he, he was failing at it. But Cal McGregor and Stuart Armstrong were playing, you know, forward passes. And that's something that we really we should be doing, and I think that's where the quality comes in. And for me, that's where it was it was so clear to see the quality that Stuart Armstrong brings because not every player could do that or had the confidence to do that. Yeah. But he did he did mess it up a couple of times. To be fair to him, but but you have to try. There is going to be a, a certain element of risk in those in those passes. Yeah. But Cal McGregor was fantastic in that pass that he played for for Scott Brown yeah. in the build up to the first goal. If anybody else had passed that ball, they would have been I, absolutely lauded for you know, it. You know, I, I said, to, I turned to my dad and I said, um, that was near on world class. Kieran, thoughts on um, the Kilmarnock game? Um, I felt that um, up until, obviously we get the goal in the first half, uh, up until the Kilmarnock goal, I felt that we were almost, not, not in a disrespectful way, but almost treating it like a training game. Because... For the first hour, we totally controlled that game. I mean, I don't think you think Kamark had anywhere near our box. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also, like you are saying with the passing, we were trying passes that I feel that if we had won the league and we still needed to win the game, we wouldn't be trying some of the passes. There was a couple of few through balls. There was a couple of passes kind of chipped over the defence. I noticed a couple of them happening as well. He just said the, the actual chip signal with, with his hand. That was insane. So I feel as if they were... They were trying things that they wouldn't have normally tried to, to see, and it's the best in a game like this where there's no pressure to win yeah. it. That if it doesn't it doesn't come through, then it doesn't matter. They've earned that right, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but then obviously you then see the, the, the other side of it where Kamal all of a sudden get, came back into it, and it was kind of like I think that the boys went right. Do you know what? Let's stop messing about now. We better win this game, and they kind of they kind of stepped up the gears, and then obviously. We then obviously get another three goals and put the tight the tight bed. So it felt like it was kind of let's try things because obviously we've still got we've still got competitive games coming up with semi final, hopefully the final. So yeah. we obviously want to try and beat those teams. So we're best trying things just now. Where if they fail, it's not a worry, but we can't do it in those kind of games. So it kind of felt like that. Part of that was when Dembele came on and we had Ibukuati uh, come on. There was only two players that I noticed we were talking about. We're going side to side quite often, and I think. The way we're set up with the pace out wide, we would be well suited to someone that can switch the play diagonally a lot quicker. Lustig did it with a cracking pass during he's, the game. He's, he's been doing it. Tierney. Tierney. Great ball. But, um, Thank you. Ibu- <laughs> he, also, he, he also basically scored their own goals out. But, did he? You know. Aye. Half him, right? Did, did he? But. <laughs> Ibu- Kuasi also did that. He played a couple of diagonal passes I think a couple in behind there he played a lovely slotted a lovely one through to yep. it was Tierney was getting some was quite rough treatment yeah Aye, it was, he was getting uh, some right tough, uh, tough treatment from their their defence as well but I think that is something that we need to identify with someone that is going to take over that brown role hopefully Kowasi is going to build up so that he's ready for next season and that might be something that will we can look forward to from Dara, him. Dara saying it was maybe a bit of, uh, maybe the boys finally get a wee bit of confidence, but Dara say a buoy in the very short time that he was on Wait, the pitch. Look at the smile, I don't know what's going on, go on. He looked like an energetic beaton, like at someone who's actually alive when they're, when they're walking about, unlike beaton who just looks like he's about to, you know, stop all the time. A buoy looked 
actually, I was actually quite impressed with him, and he, and he was passing the ball about quite happy, like quite confident enough to get on the ball, and the players were confident enough to give him it, and he played a lovely, a couple of lovely passes. I thought he was a dud when the first couple of times I'd he's, seen he's, him. He's you never know. What you, you never know. <laughs> Sorry, is this not a nightmare, Sonny? Ah, okay, fair enough. Good to see him. I was, yeah, I was, this, I, this I was man, with him. This man said that Dembele uh, was for the fun. And look, turned it around just like he says, egg in my face, <laughs> and I'd be glad. So if a Kwasi scores 10 goals, then you'd be happy with that. I, but I was just going to say as well, I thought that the defence coped very well with Conor Salmon because that's a different type of player. We've not many physical brutal big guys in the Scottish League and they were given kind of Bayata and, and um, Yozo not so much Lustig but they were given them quite a run for the money and we our defenders kind of won I'd say about a good 80 odd percent of the headers but it's a different kind of um, competition they've had when they've had been up against a really big yeah. kind of bruising striker before we get to our weekly um Criticism of the defence. Um, I just there was a question here, and I, I'm actually quite interested to find out what Louis McCaffrey's uh, thoughts on this. This is from uh, Derek at the Boy Moz, um, the the DB man, as I've just decided to call him weirdly. Um, given how many times both Griffiths and Dembele have been injured at this ta- at this same time this season, we could be doing with a third option in the strike position. Obviously, not many people want to come and be third choice. Would it be worth looking at a Colotori type? type figure, an older experienced guy who's played at a high level but maybe not got the legs to be playing every week would anyone spring to mind for the role? I I don't think so, I think for Brendan Rodgers I, I think he's all about having mobility up top and someone that can really lead the line and for me having a, a kind of veteran, someone who's going to have lost their pace I, I just don't see that fitting in, to be honest with you. I, I agree with you. I think, well, Brendan Rodgers has already said he's he's going to be in the market for another striker anyway. He said that he wants three quality strikers. Um, but do we, we don't want to just make, to have three of the same striker, surely. And I think it's an excellent point. Remember we talked about the Malmo game when Celtic went away to Malmo and Rosenberg, no pace, but physical and intelligent completely bosses out of a pit, uh, uh, you know, completely bosses. Chris Sutton never did pace. Now, I'm not saying we could get a Chris Sutton-type player. I, I think it's an excellent point um, from Derek because I think if we brought someone in... Now, these names, I'm not saying them in, in terms of we should buy them. I'm just talking about the mould of them. Grant Holt, Hibs. We shouldn't buy Grant Holt, by the way. Please don't tweet me and say what you're talking about. We shouldn't buy Grant Holt. But three years ago, if we'd brought Grant Holt in at that point, when he was still playing at a decent level. Ricky Thingy, who used to be at Liverpool. Ricky Lambert. Again, I'm not saying we should buy Ricky Lambert now. What I'm saying is a guy, maybe There's 32. Not a big striker. I think his name's Daryl Murphy in the championship. <laughs> He's not doing too bad for a big tall guy that... Bring him in. Bring him home. Louis, shall we start the Daryl Murphy bring him home um, hashtag? Absolutely not. <laughs> Look at the genuine He's calling this. No, I, ju- I just mean someone, I think it's a good point, someone who would come in, and even if they're just around the squad, um, teaching... You know, because Dembele's still only twenty, um, Griffiths is still twenty-five, but still still learning all the time. Oh, you know, I think it's not the worst idea. No, you're not for it, Lou. It just depends <coughs> on the not, player, I guess. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. It it's probably you'd probably be more inclined to go for a, you know a a player. It, not close to his age, right? If if it was someone maybe a thirty-year-old striker. Yes, and I think you'd probably go for that before you'd go for someone 
really young because you know you've got Dembele there as you say you've got Griffiths you've got young Aitchison who you know I would I would like to see given an opportunity He's but is, is he going to come on and be is he going to be that third striker at this point in time no is he going to be next year no he's probably going to need a couple of years in and about the squad before he'll, he'll be given he's his se- opportunity. He's really. 17. There's yeah, no chance. Far he's, too young. He's far too young. Um, he'll, he'll go out alone somewhere. And, uh, yeah. good, good for him. And uh, he, uh, Clearly he's rated. Or, or is it just because he's the youngest, he's the kind of only sort of striker that we have? And that, that's not a criticism because we, we don't know how good he actually is. Partly, partly that, but you can already see that he's beginning to physically develop. He's, he's beefing out a wee bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if his thing's going to be pace, if he's going to be a wee nippy striker, but he's already developing into a, a man. PJ Crossan looks good every time I saw him. Do you know that the, the boy I would really like to see is uh, the boy Donnelly, who is on loan. He went on loan. I can't remember. Was it, I want to say Queen of the South? He went. He, he went on. Him? He went on loan to because he played against. Um, I'm sure he played against Rangers in one of the cup games. Yeah. Um, so I want to say Queen of the South, but I may, I may be wrong. But I've seen him a couple of times. Um, Luke Donnelly. Luke Donnelly. Yep. Um, I've seen him a couple of times for the reserve team or the development squad, and I thought he was really good. Big tall boy. Greenock Morton. That's Greenock Morton. He's um, doing terrifically well just yep, now. He's. Um, he he really did impress me for for such a tall guy. His technique looked looked really good, um, and he was he went through a period I think maybe last year where he was he was rattling them in for the development squad, but we don't know. I mean maybe he's he's just not ready yet, and that's why he's been put out on loan to get some experience. But it's definitely some a, a position that we're obviously looking to to get another one in. Yeah, um, Keaton at CJ Bradley 86, can we get a shout out to all the fans moaning and unhappy after the draw uh, to Partick Thistle last week? Um, you're assholes. We have no right to just win, ga- win games. The attitude of fans around me was pathetic, screaming that a 17-year-old miscontrolling the ball get a grip. Well, he's right. The first half, Partick Thistle didn't do anything. They didn't attack. They just defended. So, you can see the frustration is that the fans that are going there that were hoping that Celtic would be a wee bit more cutting edge, a wee bit more entertaining, but you're right enough, they should be booing, they should be encouraging kids, this is the time for them to develop. Uh, and, and Yeah, I, I do agree, but the, uh, my worry is that there's an element of arrogance yeah. with some of these fans, and I don't mean in that we feel entitled, but in not giving credit to the other teams in Scottish football. Partick Thistle have been on a great run of form and play some really nice stuff. Partick Thistle have given us some of the toughest games of the season. We played them at Parkhead, uh, we beat them 1-0, goal in the last couple of minutes um, in December. Um, Alan Archibald is just a very good football manager. And they've just guaranteed themselves a top six finish for the first time since they've been up in the Premier League in this Run. I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, um, I think that we should maybe give the opposition a little bit more respect. Um, Rory Price at Rory Price Six. Is it now time for the main stand and North Stand to be named after Lustig and Armstrong, respectively? Couldn't agree more. In fact, that's the bet. That's just to confirm that is the best tweet we've ever received. Um, Kieran Haran, if you could choose to keep one for the rest of their career, would you pick Roderick or Armstrong? Rodic because that number 10 role is very hard to fill 
can everyone? Armstrong, we've got other midfielders that you can bring oh, in. Other, mid- other midfielders. <laughs> For me, Rodgers uh, number. Because we've we've seen ourselves, we can't replace the number ten when Rodgers does not do us in the we've squad. We've been doing all right with him so far. Nah, we're joking. I, I love both. It's actually a really interesting question yeah. uh, from Ben to Tim. Um, can you tweet us out, you know, if you're listening to this and you've got an opinion, who would you keep for the whole of their career? Roger or Armstrong, Keith? Because uh, we know Louis' answer. Are they doing a wee poll, Chris? Should we do a poll? Should we do a Twitter poll? I'll go on it right away. Um, personally, I would like to see Armstrong because I can see him developing into a, a player similar to Scott Brown, maybe coming back and holding the midfield. I like that Scottish element yeah, as well. Um, I'm going to ask Louis, but I think we all know his we answer. Know. Do you know the question I'm going to ask you? Not until you ask it. Uh, if you could choose to keep one of the one for the rest of their career, would you pick Rogic or Armstrong? Oh, oh that's easy. Aye. Armstrong, Damn, obviously. Correct, Armstrong. Um, a question from EK677. Um, Eric Sviachenko's recent form. Um, a lot of people were saying he was at fault for the goal against Partick Thistle. Um, which would be a little, kind of a little bit tough because we took Ezio off and he had to kind of cover two positions. But at the same time, he seems to be getting a lot. He seems to be quite easily beaten in terms of anyone with sort of any sort of skill or a little bit of pace. But Eric Sviachenko's recent form and performances and the Leicester rumours discuss this guy, Kieran. Thoughts? Um, if we were offered, um, let's say we were offered four million pound for Eric Sviachenko, would you take it in the summer? Absolutely. I do like Eric. I feel that he could turn into a good player, but we haven't seen it. Um, I do feel Yose is a better defender. I see that more and more now. Um, Bayata as well. I know he's made a few mistakes, but on the whole, I think Bayata has been very solid um, and has been shown to be a very good defender. Now, it's a bit unfair because Rodgers keeps chopping and changing. With, most of the time, it's between Yose and Eric. Um, and sometimes it's not through like a uh, fitness. Sometimes it's just he just decides to play one. And had, but I, I do think actually remember now. Did he not have a comment that he said that the pains on what game determines whether it's Yozo or Eric? Because I brought, of both. I brought you that uh, information, friend. <laughs> he, what? Uh, he told you that when I've mentioned it in hundreds of podcasts. There's <laughs> no one else had heard that. Apparently, if we're playing football. Um, it's Yozo that gets if it, to if play. If it's ice hockey, then it's Eric. Um, if if is... we need to defend and we don't have the ball at our feet, um, Eric goes in. Um, are you, are you, so you, you're out, out, out of the three centre halves, Eric for me would be the the one I would lose most out of the three. That's interesting. You can, sorry. <laughs> I think all of our all of our central defenders are replaceable, I, and I, and. and I just think if, if anybody, if, if if a good offer came in for any of them, including Yozo, to be fair, because... I'm not, I'm, not oh, I'm not seeing what anyone else is seeing with Yozo. I think he looks okay, but... Yeah, I like him, but as, you know... He is is he out of this world, is he? None of them are particularly exceptional. They're just all competent. It's much of a muchness with yeah. all three of them, I think. I know. I, I think they've all got different attributes. Um, Boyata's probably better in the air. Um, Eric's probably a tougher tackler. And Yozo maybe reads the game more, but better. But I just feel, personally, I think... But that's the issue. Um, the Champions League qualifiers is so quickly and with such... Yeah. You know, we don't get much time to rest or to bed people in. I would probably go into the qual- qualifiers with Boyata and Sviachenko, not Sviachenko, Boyata and Yozo. But Eric, Eric to Leicester, would you allow it? 
Yeah, I could see that happening. He's a lovely guy, but... <laughs> That's what everyone seems to say. As he opened, his opening gambit was, I really like Eric, but like... I actually met him at the, the park the other day. He says he couldn't make the, the, the final game against Hearts because he'd been spewing the day before. Um, and then the next day you see him dancing in the, the park as well. Terribly nice guy. Um, but probably one that can come on and do a job for us. So, again, I keep going on about squad players. Decent squad player. But we can get money for him. Yeah, reinvest it. I trust this side and... The, uh, this management team to be able to get identify players in. It does feel as if people have kind of turned on him, doesn't it? Who? Eric. I think I think fans kind of I think the general consensus on Eric is that I think maybe people are maybe actually not that good. Yeah, well, maybe people are just starting to realise that when you actually watch the game and as opposed to go on his Instagram. <laughs> um, <that> maybe <laughs> if you actually watch the game you can see that he's not performing to the high standards that you need to if you're going to be a sales centre half do you not think that he potentially tries to do too much he's he's maybe not been able to make the changes in his game that Rogers has wanted because I think if, if you were just looking for a kind of no-nonsense central defender to keep it simple I think he'd be better than that. I find his decision making at times goes to pot. Ah, that's and I don't flop. think I sometimes decision making like that. I don't think you can, you know, you can't out coach. I don't. You can't coach someone if they're on the pitch and there's a decision to be made. I don't think you can, you know, coach that out of them because it's instinct, and your his instinct seems to be. To, to make the wrong decision. But anyway, you know, Eric Swiatchenko, um, should he stay or should he go? Would you take a, a money for him? Um, any other kind of comments on Celtic? Because we're, we're going to bring in the great Dan O'Hagan. Just to say that it was terrific, the the donations and the turnout for the food drive on Saturday. Um, much to go along and help Tara, uh, Tony Hamilton and all the team there. Um, 17 vans were filled with about half a tonne each of bags it's a terrible shame that we yes. have to do something like this but it's wonderful the amount of effort and uh, help that people are willing to give up to, to do this for the yeah. and it's another party which makes us a special club yeah agreed you get any other comments about Celtic Kieran? just pretty awesome to be honest. I've got, <laughs> got a comment about Celtic what um, no just Brendan Rodgers obviously talking a lot about getting ready for the semi-final and Getting you know, building, but uh, building some players up in terms of giving them minutes and things. Um, Tam and Dembele came on, and right away you could see the quality that they brought. I mean, the, Tam, the I know I go on about Tam's feet, right? But Tam's feet for what? How long was he on? Fifteen minutes. Jesus, some of the things that boy done. His first touch, he totally done a boy. And then he done a wee roulette at one point. He was just he was playing some lovely wee passes and touches. He looked a class above. The belly was bossing things right away. You could just tell that he was on a different planet. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the game at the weekend, the Ross County game, and, and who starts. Because Brendan Rodgers had said, you know, in the next couple of games we're getting closer to the starting lineup uh, for the semi final. Be interested to see if Dembele and Tam start at the weekend. Well, if he's getting any insight of him, they might be in the semi-final, then they will be starting on Sunday. I think both of them do need to start to get more yeah. time. Yeah. Do you know one one other thing I was thinking very quickly? You know how the last couple of games he's played this three at the back and Tierney's really been playing as a winger? Now, obviously that's because we didn't have a recognised striker 
I get that. But I wonder if that is he's he's going to keep that if he can, if that is a tactic. To to because remember at the beginning of the season he was quite he quite clearly had th- uh, three at the back and he played a number of games kind of three five two. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's maybe what he wants to start getting back to. I think it will. Be. I think especially domestically it has to be with that kind of that superior that we can easily have the back three and have because you've got your wing backs and you've also got technically two number tens being a striker, so you've got more offensive players and more fluidity getting forward, and it seems to play a lot better that way. Yeah. Um, just a couple of points. Um, Keith, you put out a picture and um, people are commenting on the fact um, of the Christmas lights up there. The uh, My mum uh, said she liked them. So... That's I think they give a little bit of charm to them. Yeah. They're lovely. My mum says she liked them so you can all fucking suck it. Um, and we're going to bring in um, Dan O'Hagan, um, the great Dan O'Hagan, um, and he's going to chat to us about um, the Bundesliga, the Champions League and uh, various other things. Dan! We're now joined by um, BT commentator Dan O'Hagan, an all-round good guy. Uh, Dan, it's great to have you back on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for asking. Of course, no problem at all, man. Um, We just want to talk about um, the Bundesliga, a bit about the Champions League, and uh, we'll eventually get to... Brendan Rodgers and Alex Neal as well. We've got some points on that. But just kind of looking back at the weekend, Bayern Munich beating Dortmund 4-1. Were you surprised by that result? And what did you kind of make of it overall? Um, I thought Bayern were by far the better team. Um, Dortmund is still some way behind them. It was 5-1, don't forget, last season. And Dortmund this season, I don't think are anywhere near the level they were in Thomas Tuchel's first season in charge. So I wasn't surprised by the uh, nature of Bayern's win. Um, they're two very good teams, but Bayern for me are still, you know, several steps above where Dortmund are. Dan, you mentioned there about uh, Thomas Tuchel's, maybe the, the, his team now maybe aren't as good as his as as they were last season. Is there any particular reason for that? Or is it is it just kind of the way things have panned out this season for them? I think there are reasons. They've lost two important players in Matt Summers, who's gone to Bayern, of course, and Mkhitaryan, who went to Man United. But also Marco Royce. Um, he's a great player. We know that. He's one of the, when he's fit, he's one of Europe's best players. But he's hardly ever fit. He's been out and out since, well, for two or three months. Um, he's close, I think, to a return, but didn't play at the weekend. And we take out Hummels, Mkhitaryan, Royce, and also it's a young team as well. Um, players like Usman Dembele, um, even Rafael Guerrero, Christian Pulisic. These are players who'll be really top players in maybe two or three years' time. But at the moment, to ask players of their inexperience to kind of perform week in, week out and beat a team like Bayern, it's a big ask. And um, as I say, I think Dortmund... I've got the makers of a terrific team, but at the moment they're nowhere near where Bayern are. Um, just speaking about Christian Pulisic, um, you know he's clearly rated as one of the top players. Uh, how how far away is he from actually fulfilling his his potential? I know obviously he's still very young and he's not got as much experience as um, someone like Royce, for example. But could he, you know, go on to really be a sort of player on the world stage? Do you think? Oh yeah, I mean without doubt. He's the real deal. He's going to be the first U.S. football superstar. Um, he's 18. I did his debut game last season, uh, January of last year, and uh, he came on then and he just showed no fear. He's now 
an important first-team player. OK, Royce is injured. There's no Mkhitaryan. But Pulisic is in that team now on merit. And to be 18 and playing the way he is with that confidence, that swagger, yeah, he's the real deal. And uh, I guess the question is, you know, Dortmund are a club who do have to sell. Um, how long can they keep him? Because for me, already at 18, he is the real deal. Hi, Dan. It's Keith. I, just a quick question. Hi, about um, Dortmund, are they still a selling club? Do they need to to sell the players for the, the vast sums each year just to, to keep up with Bayern? I think they are. I mean, you look at last year, you know, they, they, they lost Hummels, they lost Mkhitaryan. Um, and OK, they went and spent big money to bring in Andre Schuller and uh, Rafael Guerrero and Mark Bart from Barcelona. They spend, but they also they sell as well. And the problem you've got in Germany as well is that if you have good players, Bayern will cherry pick them. So they lost Max Hummels. Um, they lost Mario Goethe, of course, uh, to Bayern as well a couple of years back. So it's all about trying to keep up with Bayern in some respects. So um, in Dortmund, they're always kind of playing second fiddle and having to, to hang on to Bayern coattail almost. And yeah, they do have to sell. But as I say, they've brought in these wonderful young talents um, who are great investments. But I think in two or three years' time, if they keep that nucleus together, uh, we've not seen Alexander Eastak yet, the young Swedish extension, but if they keep together, Pulisic, Dembele, Julian Weigel, that's going to be a terrific team. Just to, to follow up on that then, you'd mentioned that they have set, they signed Mark Bartra from... Um, Barcelona. I think he actually made his debut in a game against Celtic uh, a couple of years ago. How is he uh, faring in the, the Bundesliga? He's found it tough. Um, he's not the like-for-like like replacement they needed for Hummels. He's a different player. Hummels is a proper old-fashioned, you know, get his head stuck in their centre-half. Bartra's more of a ball player. And They've already agreed to sign next season Uma Toprak from Leverkusen, who's much more of that traditional centre-back. So Bartra's found the going pretty tough. He's not played every week. Um, he's made one or two mistakes, but he's obviously a, very, a good player. But, um, yeah, he's not been that kind of hand-in-glove replacement they needed to replace Mats Hummels. Um, just a kind of point on Bayern, uh, Dan. You know, Celtic often get criticised for being so far ahead in the, the Scottish Premiership. But Bayern are ten points clear of um, Hof, um, sorry Leipzig, and then overall seventeen over Hoffenheim in third. Um, you know, obviously we Celtic are so far ahead, we get criticised for that. Is it the same in in Germany with Bayern? Is the gap as big as it looks from the sort of league table? I think Bayern this season have been very good. Um, I don't think they've been as good as they were under Guardiola last season, but I think. With German football at the moment, you're looking at that race for second place is where all the excitement is. Um, a Bayern win now is almost taken as a given most weekends. I know they got beat by Hoffenheim last midweek, but um, yeah, a 10-point gap. It's not healthy, um, but teams do give them games. I mean, Dortmund, um, certainly um, in the game in Dortmund back in November, gave them a good game. Hoffenheim beat them last week. Uh, they've had one or two draws at home as well against teams like uh, Bayer Leverkusen and the Druid Frankfurt. So, yeah, they, they are a team who um, obviously are 10 points clear and are the class act in the field. But they don't get it all their own way every week. But um, we could do with more of a title race. I'll concede that much. 
Uh, Dan, it's Kieran here. Um, we see obviously, uh, obviously Leipzig um, at times are an unknown team over with Germany, um, and also as a surprise that they're still in second place, seven points ahead of Hoffenheim. Are you able to pinpoint what's made them so successful to be so still high up in the in the league, uh, coming towards the business end of the season? Yeah, I did their game at the weekend when they uh, won with a very late goal. Um, to nil uh, at the weekend and they're a team who are just great to watch they've got this wonderful fluid attacking uh, players like Naby Keita uh, Emil Forsberg who is the top assister now in any of Europe's top five major leagues uh, lots of goals from Timo Werner Marcel Zabitza the Austrian has been terrific as well it's this fluid uh, free-flowing attacking football which is just terrific to watch. And they've almost, I think, won over some of the German public because Leipzig were not at all popular when they got promoted because the German model is the big business bankroll to club, which, of course, Red Bull have done with Leipzig. Um, but I think the way they play, they're still very unpopular, but I think people do enjoy watching them for what they are, which is a terrific, free-flowing, attacking footballing side. And at the moment, yeah, they are in that hunt for second place. They've been up there for most of the season. They'll be run close by Hoffenheim and by Dortmund. But right now, Leipzig are second on merit. And they've had a wonderful first season at that level. Obviously, you can't really see it in the future. But do you feel Leipzig will be similar to Leicester, where the second season they may fall away and maybe battle in relegation? Or do you feel that they actually do have a kind of a platform there that they could be successful and we could be challenging up with the top three or four for maybe a couple of seasons to come? A lot depends on who they can keep hold of because as I say Emil Forsberg has had a wonderful season. Naby Kate is 22 and he'll be linked with all the top clubs in the next few months. Um, Timo Werner has been a terrific goal scorer for them. It's a bit to two. They're a team who if they can keep them together they will develop and will become a force. But I just think that um, this summer, big clubs will look at those players and offer crazy money, and we'll have to kind of see Leipzig start again from square one almost. Obviously, being in, in Scotland, uh, we're Scotland fans. Oliver Burke, um, do you think towards maybe maybe next season they might become more of a regular sort of player? There's been some coverage of him, obviously, with the last sort of Scotland squad. Um, but we obviously don't get to see Leipzig every week the way we would maybe have the opportunity with, with Dortmund and Bayern. you think there's a chance he kind of will push for a first-team position next season? Well, at the weekend, he made his fourth start of the season, so he's not been a regular. He's come on in most games, uh, and he's looked sharp, he's looked busy. He struggled, I thought, at the weekend um, as a starter. He's 19. Um, the guy will develop. You know, Leipzig have seen their a talent. Uh, they've taken their forest, and he had a great start. I think he made the winning goal against Dortmund in his first game, and then scored against Cologne back in September. But since then, he's been a bit part player, really. But he's got all the potential in the world, and he can be a top, top player. But I think this one there, you need to be patient with him because uh, it'll take a, it'll take a year or two. Um, just um, there's an interesting sort of parallel um, with the Hoffenheim manager. Um, obviously, we've got Ian Cathro. Um, is the Hearts manager who's kind of came in. He's 30, um, maybe not a lot of experience in terms of, um, you know, being a first team, with being a manager in general. But it seems to have, you know, Hoffenheim being third, this seems to be, you know, 
doing better than Hearts currently. But you know, how was the appointment kind of received? Because in Scotland, it's not obviously he, him not doing very well hasn't helped his case. But from the get go, he wasn't part of the sort of Largs Mafia sort of thing, and therefore it was all very negative. How has his um, and how's the Hovenheim managers um, been received in Germany? Julian Nagelsmann, yeah, a rising star. Appointed last February when Hoffenheim were dead buried. They were in the bottom two and uh, Hoop Stevens uh, left the job. He was already their second coach of the season. Uh, Nagelsmann came in and since then, their transformation has been unbelievable. Um, for me, they and Leipzig are two of the best teams to watch in Germany. Um, and Nagelsmann doesn't turn 30 until I think the middle of July which is terrifying. Um, and he's been terrific. His team have been terrific. And certainly in Germany, he's seen as a rising star. Yogi Love last week um, said that he can see one day Nagelsmann being a potential future boss of the national team. So that tells you how high he's thought of in Germany. But certainly we're seeing, I think, the birth of a very rare managerial talent in Julian Nagelsmann. Dan, if we could maybe go back to to Dortmund for a a minute, we've um, obviously when the when the draw was made for the quarterfinals of the Champions League, for me personally, the game that stood out was Dortmund Monaco. Um, yeah, for for a number of reasons, but obviously both teams um, have the potential to play really exciting brand of attacking football. And Monaco, for me, I, I think have been they've surprised a lot of people. People who don't maybe get to see a lot of French football, they they were fantastic to watch. Um, What's your what's your thoughts going into that game and, and that game coming up soon? Are you, are you, is that a game that excites you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, for me, that is one of the ties of the round on paper. Um, I would say this. I would say Dortmund have the better players. Monaco have the better team. So across two legs, take your pick. But we'll have two great legs. Um, I couldn't call it. But yeah, Monaco, surprise package in France. They were a very dull team for a number of years, but this season, again, that young nucleus of, of a team, terrific to watch. And they and Dortmund, yeah, I'm sure will serve two magical legs of football in the quarterfinals. Are, are Dortmund maybe looking at the Champions League um, maybe in a different light? Uh, maybe getting a wee bit of a break away from the domestic, domestic game and having a different attitude when it comes to the Champions League? Because, of course, the getting into the latter stages uh, you know they could very easily you know get get through in terms of you know knockout football they could yeah and they're still going in the german cup as well or they play bayern in their semi-final so um, that'll be tough but yeah i'm sure they are looking at the champions league as uh, somewhere where they can make further progress whether they're good enough to get beyond maybe later on a real madrid or a juventus or a barcelona or whoever or a bayern I don't know, but um, yeah, they're a good bunch of players, but I think as a team, there are much better teams in that last eight than Dortmund are, but uh, we'll see how far they can go. Yeah, just kind of one question about Thomas Tuchel. I, myself, personally, I've been a massive fan of, fan of him for, for years, and um, obviously he's kind of taken the same route as Klopp, um, almost yeah. identical in some ways. Um, his next move... Do you think it'll be to, to England or oh, or Arsenal? Well, I think Arsenal would not be a bad shout. His English is impeccable. Um, Dortmund, he's under some pressure. Um, already I've seen Nagelsmann link with the Dortmund job if Tuchel was to be moved on. Because it's been, 
it's been a very tough second season. Last year, they were terrific. They, I think they were the best ever second place team in the Bundesliga, given their points and their goals and all that kind of thing. This season, because the players they've lost and the injuries they've had, it's been nowhere near as, as fluid, uh, despite the goals of uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But <sighs> I think Thomas Tuchel is a very good coach. I can see him managing, certainly, in the Premier League at some point. I think Arsenal would be a good fit for him. Um, and I'm not sure how much longer he's got left at Dortmund if they were um, to maybe crash out the Champions League and then kind of see their season tail off in the Bundesliga as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a move I can see happening at some point and maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, obviously, back to the Champions League and there's obviously the other tie, which is the battle of the heavyweights between Bayern and Real Madrid. Um, do you feel Real Madrid... Uh, there's any kind of weaknesses in the Bayern team that Real could um, take to the advantage to try and get a result? In a word, no. Uh, this current Bayern team is very solid in all areas and they've got their two old stages, Ribéry and Robin, playing as if they're 25 again. Um, we saw Robin again at the weekend with his trademark cutting inside from the uh, right-hand side and bending a shot at the bottom corner. Um, we know he can do it. It's just how teams can try and stop him doing it. Um, so, look, this is a good Bayern team. It's a good Real Madrid team. Very similar to the Monaco-Dortmund tie, you can't call it. Um, certainly on their day, Bayern can beat Real Madrid. But equally, Real Madrid, if they get their key players playing, they can beat Bayern. So, hopefully, as for the Dortmund tie, it'll be two terrific legs of football. But I could tell you now, with any degree of confidence, who'd go through. You mentioned a couple of the, the old stagers there for... Uh, Bayern Munich. One that you did mention was uh, Xavi Alonso playing against his old team. Do you think if they can get past Real Madrid, um, he may be able to go on and, and equal Clarence Stadorf to get his third Champions League uh, winner's medal? It would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, one of the greats of the last 20 years. I'm lucky enough to be going to Bayern's last game of the season at home against Freiburg, so I'll be there to see, hopefully, his last ever league game, which is going to be a terrific honour. But, look, Xavi Alonso has been a wonderful player, and will he be a starter for Bayern if they got to the final? I don't know, but... It'd be great to see him get uh, another winner's medal. And as you say, join Clarence Zaydorf as when he get with three different clubs. Yeah, um, just kind of moving away from, from the Champions League and sort of German football. Obviously, we are a, a Celtic-focused podcast. Brendan Rodgers signed a four-year deal um, this week. Brought us a bit of surprise for us. We were, we're all very happy with it. How has it kind of been taken from, you know, from outside of Scotland, do you have you has there been surprise, or has anyone thought maybe it was the wrong thing for him to do? Because there's been a lot of kind of negative sort of talk from a lot of the kind of tabloids down in England that kind of well, certainly upset me. It's just very disrespectful. How do you see it? I think the Celtic job for Rogers was a very canny move because uh, obviously he knew he'd have a great chance of winning the league in Scotland, which he's done in phenomenal style. And it was a great way of almost rehabilitation because the way he left Liverpool was very, very, very difficult for him. And he's gone to Celtic, obviously a club with a wonderful history and, and fan base. And he's kind of put his stamp on it already. And it'll be interesting to see next season, maybe, if Aberdeen get closer or Rangers get closer, if he could keep on going on the way he, this kind of upward uh, progress he's had because... 
Uh, at the moment, he's certainly doing himself no harm at all in terms of maybe one day coming back to the Premier League. Uh, but certainly, I'm sure Celtic fans are loving uh, life under Rodgers because it's been a terrific season for you guys. We certainly see ourselves as, as trying to improve in Europe. That seems to be where we want to, to see Celtic uh, really, really challenge ourselves. Um, hopefully, we can still dominate in the, the league at home, but Europe seems to be the, the benchmark for us. Um, what about your own team? Um, recently, Alex Neil was, was sacked, and you seem to have had a bit of a, a upturn in form. 7-1 at the weekend. Yeah, it's been a strange season. Um, Alex went, what, three or four weeks ago now, um, and Alan Urban's come in as uh, the caretaker. And results kind of bubbled along, but that Reading result of the weekend, fourth place Reading, uh, come to Norwich and gets stuffed 7-1. It's odd because that happened only three days after Norwich announced uh, a new sporting director that brought in the guy from uh, from Huddersfield Town, whose name escapes me for now, but he's come in. And a case think one or two players may be playing for their futures now the new guy was in the stands. Um, so I think there's that element of it as well. But Alex Neal, I think he'd come to the end of his time, and I think he should probably have gone several months before when the season could still be safe, because it was quite clear that with Norwich, um, the players weren't playing for anymore, and... Um, he just looked like a, a beaten man, a man under enormous pressure. And look, last season, I worked with him very closely for Premier League Productions, and he's a lovely guy. And I'll tell you a story now that when Norwich went down last season, he came up to me and apologised and said, look, I'm sorry we've gone down because I know it's going to cost you money and cost you work. And he's such a decent fella. And I didn't like seeing the way the fans here turned on him because he's an honest guy as a journalist he never ever ducked a question from anybody and I'm sure he'll bounce back somewhere uh, maybe back in Scotland maybe here in England but um, yeah he could be his natural time but I'm sure it's not the last word of Alex Neil. Where, just on that where where do you think a, a manager like Alex Neil um, should go I mean Obviously, English football and, and certainly the the championship and and trying to get promotion to the to the Premier League is is such a massive thing, and we see so many managers lose their job over the course of a season. Obviously, Alex Neil came from uh, Hamilton and, and Scottish football and, and got a massive chance down in England. Often, you kind of sadly you see these things happen. Maybe it, it does end up going wrong. They lose their job and they end up coming back to Scottish football. Personally, I would like to see him get another chance down in England, but do you do you think that's achievable for him based on, you know, how much... Because he's obviously came... He has came a long way in terms of being a manager and the experience he's gained from the Norwich job. Do you think he'll get another chance or do you think he maybe have to step down a level again? I hope so. I mean, he's only 35 now. Um, in England, I think... He'd struggle to get a job in the championship, so maybe we'd have to drop down to a bigger team in League One um, or maybe go back to Scotland. But look, Alex Neil is still a young, bright, ambitious manager. And at Norwich, he did a great job for the first 12 months. It all went wrong when they got beaten in Newcastle 6-2 last season and he lost his confidence, uh, began to tinker with the team, his tactics, and the players did go with him. And this season was just struggle after struggle uh, but I think if he gets his confidence back in a new job be that in England or in Scotland I think he's still got potential to be a terrific manager uh, but we'll just have to see where he pops up next 
Um, obviously, I'll have your caretaker manager. Is there any manager who you'd actually like to see take on the post at Norwich? Well, I think, from what I understand, the smart money is on Uwe Rosler, who is doing great things with Fleetwood Town at the moment. Um, I did wonder if Dave Wagner might come along from Huddersfield, but uh, what I gather, that is unlikely. So I think Uwe Rosler, who was close to the Huddersfield job, apparently, when that, uh, when that went to Dave Wagner, um, so I think Rosler would be a good choice. Obviously, he uh, he had a damaging spell, didn't he, at Leeds, but the job he did at Brentford was terrific. Um, so we'll have to see. But from what I understand, yeah, Uwe Rosler is the front runner. And uh, in order to make the decision when this season's finished. Um, where can we hear you next? When are you back on the, the TV? Where are you commentating next? Well, I've got a busy weekend, Easter weekend. I'm working all four days. Uh, English games Friday and Monday, so I'm doing Wolves, Brighton, and Derby Huddersfield. Then the weekend in Germany again for uh, Hoffenheim against Gladbach. And uh, then on Sunday, I've got the big Nord Derby between Werder Bremen and Hamburg. So uh, Easter's a busy time of the year for me. Lovely stuff. Um, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure um, knowing us, the 90 Minute Cynic, knowing you, Dan O'Hagan. <laughs> Aha. <laughs> Aha! <laughs> <laughs> no, th- thanks very much, man, for coming on, and um, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Pleasure. Big thanks to Dan um, for taking the time to come on. Genuinely appreciate it. Um, best in his field, Keith. He's got the best here of the commentary team in Britain, Europe, the world. And that's why we, we, we get him on. Nothing to do with his opinions. It's just a terrific hairdo. Loves a... Uh, custard, custard cream. And there we go. Um, just looking at... We're going to kind of finish the show by looking at the kind of SPL roundup for the weekend. Uh, we're going to start with the match that was on yesterday that we all um, were a bit disappointed in because uh, Louis Rangers capitulated in a way that teams rarely do. Aberdeen. <laughs> no, Aberdeen capitulated. What did I say? Rangers won. I mean, aye, Aberdeen, sorry. Jesus. Um, yeah, no, I, I did watch the game um, and, you know, Aberdeen, they'd done a lot of huffing and puffing but didn't really create that many clear-cut chances. It was a very scrappy game. Two rubbish teams, pretty much. It's how it would appear if you, if you only watched that game you would think both of the teams are were pretty rubbish um, just very scrappy pitch didn't really help to be fair um, but the way it turned round uh, with that opening goal I mean you have to give credit it was a, it was some finish but they just absolutely as you say capitulated um, and Aberdeen you know Derek McInnes must have been raging but I genuinely think he messed up because he should have made some substitutions way before he did waiting until there were two goals down fair enough the two goals came quick before you make your first substitution was madness the game was crying out for it the likes of Andrew Shinney was blowing his ass pretty much him and a, cu- a couple of the Aberdeen players really did look tired they lacked creativity and then you've got Ryan Christie sitting on the bench you, you would think he would be the player to kind of unlock things. They, they started the second half actually quite well and they had a, a period of maybe 20 minutes at the start of the, the first half, at uh, the start of the second half, where you thought this goal was coming. Yeah, because... Any time now. When, when uh, we, we obviously, myself and Keith, were up interviewing Tom Boyd and, you know, I came in, sat down, 
came in from the I think it was about the fiftieth minute. I sat and from the fiftieth minute up until the first goal, which would have been about fifteen fifteen odd minutes, something like that. Uh, it was Aberdeen. It was Aberdeen. They were pressing, and even the commentators were saying Rangers will be lucky to get out here with a draw. I think they set up for a draw. I think that that's how you know if, if they it's a great result if they get away from home because it's the first time they've beat any of the top four away from home, um, and they didn't beat Aberdeen. They they just they had a 10 minute period where they slaughtered them is it 3 goals in 3 minutes something like that yeah. I mean that uh, Dodo's goal at the end uh, he, he just runs in a straight line cuts inside and shoots I mean I, I, didn't, I didn't get it like uh, just stop him you it guys was... did went on a, quite a few times about how bad Ash Taylor was oh, he's, he's... and I had never really noticed it myself until yesterday when I seen him I don't know if he, he actually scored from it but he, he kind of just fell over and Dodo, did they hit the bar? Uh, yeah, he hit the bar. The guy's atrocious. Um, incredible finish for Kenny Miller. Still, it was a, a it was a trip. Kieran, what you my throat that he played it? for us. Uh, it was wasn't the greatest game to watch. Like I, I well, after the second goal, and I just turned it over because I wasn't wanting to watch any further. But uh, it was quite scrappy. Um, that wee Gardner, I just don't like him at all. He's a diving wee shite for us. <laughs> Don't hold back. I'm not. <laughs> between, between that incident with the um, with Jack Ross, and then there was another. There was another one where the guy literally didn't even pull his shirt. He just I don't even know. He barely touched him, and he just fell fell over. Aye, and it was right in front of the ref. He did it in the five one game. Aye, that's what I was take, he's a dirty wee get, and that. No, 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 the, the, the no. thing, like obviously. People are probably sitting listening to this, thinking, "Why are you talking about Rangers?" But that game had the potential. I think to be very important for I think know, it was Scot- Scottish fo- Scottish football in this season because you know Aberdeen are by far the be- the second best team in the league right but they do struggle in the big games they're good against the the, the lesser sides in the league but the big games when there's a bit of pressure on them, they've still not got that kind of mentality and this was really a chance for them and I think probably all of us thought they would probably cuff them and guarantee themselves second place. And the other thing... Second place is up for grabs again. Yeah, the other thing that that would have happened if if Aberdeen had won was that St Johnson would have been within three points of Rangers. And that would have been really interesting to see see if St Johnson could then put on a bit of a... You know, have a... Because they've been so consistent anyway, but to maintain that and possibly even nick, nick third, it would have been interesting, but... It doesn't look as if that's going to happen. I mean, the other point with Aberdeen is, you know, looking ahead to next season, um, Aberdeen are losing uh, Ryan Jack. Um, they're losing Niall McGinn. It looks like they're going to be losing probably positively uh, Ash Taylor as well. There's about three or four players from the first team squad they're going to lose. Will Johnny Hayes go if another big bid comes in for it? I don't know if they'll, they'll let it let it go. So basically, you're looking at, um, you know, and, and I tell you something else. I, I can see Shinny going to Rangers. Um, I can just see a bid coming in and him going because he's a Rangers fan and fair play to him. Um, but you're looking at McInnes almost having to start from from the bottom again, next, like from a whole new um, new whole new team and a whole bringing in a whole new mentality again. So Aberdeen could be in trouble next season. Um, they, they, you know, there's, as I say, there are very they're far ahead from Rangers. That one game doesn't mean prove anything, but they have lost to Rangers twice this season. If they finish second, I think he might try and play in that and try and get himself a job back down south and maybe get out of there because like you say with them losing so many players and having to rebuild again 
I don't think they're going to have the, the money to invest in the squad either, so I can see him maybe trying to get out as quick as possible. And Keenan, wouldn't the perfect replacement for Derek McInnes be Tommy Wright? Um, absolutely, yeah. I think he's taking possibly St Johnston as far as he can now because they, they just don't have any finance and what they've and what they've done. I mean, you can even also look at the part of look how close they are with Rangers now. Obviously, Rangers don't have the money, but they do have much more money than St Johnston. Yeah, but they're almost. I mean, they're within what six points just now. I mean, top six are going to start playing each other again now once the, the split happens. So you never know. I mean, like you said, Rangers can't win again away from home with some of the top top sides. If they have three away, three away out of the five, then I mean, they could lose lose more um, games that way. So. He's still got the potential to, to finish quite quite close. Quite um, close he's to been yeah. there for a number of years now. You feel he's taken him as far as he can. He's had him in the two, Scot- two, semif- two finals. He won the, was it the League Cup or the Scottish Cup? Scottish Cup. Scottish Cup he won on top? Yeah. Um, so First half a trophy. He's got a trophy under the belt as well. So he also now wants to think about taking the next step up, which possibly really is, realistically is Aberdeen. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I mean that's the thing. Though. The thing that always gets me about Tommy Wright is um, he's never kind of connected with, with any other teams, with any other jobs. Um, I think the perfect thing for Rangers to do would have been to not bring in this Pedro chap, um, bring Tommy Wright in. Who's Pish? Who, who Pedro? I see. Fair enough, they won three 0 right? But if that scoreline does not reflect that game, and. Order I, tactics. I, I think he, I genuinely think the boy's clueless. I think and he's a fish out of water who's taken an opportunity that's been thrown at. Aye. Him. And they they did not they did not produce anything in a, an attacking sense at all. They didn't look as if they had any clear game plan. They basically sat and defended for for a lot of the time. They did press a bit, but they really offered nothing. And that, I mean. To, I mean, you've got to give credit, I suppose, in the fact that they got their three goals and, and they were clinical. But I, it was more to do with Aberdeen, their heads absolutely going when the first goal went in, as opposed to anything else. Yeah. But I genuinely, I would absolutely agree with you. If there was anybody with an ounce of sense in that club, which we know there isn't, they would have got Tommy Wright. Tommy Wright in, um, get a young youthful manager to be his assistant and a transition over three or four years. I mean, that's 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 how you do it. I mean, as I say, if, you know, what the thing that I like about St. Johnston is it's not that they've finished in the top six for the last four or five years. It's how comfortably they've finished in the top six. It's not like so it's, it's not like they've kind of snuck in. They've been, you know, third, fourth, or you know, thereabouts. And that's, I just think he's a really great manager. I do think as well, I thought it was a bit weird, just as he's announced today, with uh, Pedro bringing in, obviously, a third man was Jonathan, Jonathan Johansson. Johansson. Which I thought I never heard, I never even heard he was linked at all. But they wanted to bring in a proper Rangers man. And it was more about someone who's worked in Scottish football as well. But he, he did but he, he's been working with he had Barry, been working with Motherwell for years and stuff. Barry Ferguson was probably a better mold for that. But then he's not he's not been working as I, I don't know. But has he been working in Scottish football in recent years? I don't think so. So how the hell is he, he going to know him? Was he at Charlton? He turns up at a stadium. Oh, I've been here before, eh? So he's not been in Scottish game now for what ten years? No, oh, no, he was toilets are through uh, there. He was working. Um, he was working at Motherwell, apparently, um, doing something. I don't know, coaching or whatever. Um, it just seems like an odd left field um, appointment. Um, but listen, hey, we're not going to criticise other people's coaching structures because fucking who cares? Talking about Tommy Wright, one of the the best things he does is seem to get a great team spirit. And uh, it was good to see the players fighting for one another instead of against one another uh, at the weekend. Oh, I like to get see the them fighting against each other. Uh, that's brilliant. Every day would like to see that. Every day missed it though. Uh, 
Cathro got his first win in th- after three straight defeats, and that's Dundee's sixth defeat in a row. Mm. Hartley's needing to grow the beard back. Hey, Hart- Hartley needs a wee reset in his, his I think again, management career. I, 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 that's the thing about these. Like, if you look at Alan Archibald and how well he's doing, Thistle beat Motherwell. How well Thistle are doing? He's got them into the top six. There's quite a big gap between um, sixth and seventh. Mm. Um, done terrific. But how long is as Kieran kind of says? How long can you take these teams going? Because you don't have that much of a budget, you're always you're always juggling finances with you know uh, talent and trying to develop yeah. them. So if you look at you know Alan Archibald, right, terrific manager, um, he's probably only got a really small window. That's what Alex Neil did really well. Mm-hmm. He had a really really small window and he took it. He went when his stock was high. Aye, he's went when his stock was its highest. And sometimes you know these guys. Maybe they just don't get the opportunities. Yeah. And that, that's the other thing. But I do think Alan Archibald, uh, Paul Hartley, Tommy Wright, we've got some really, really good managers in some situations that are, you know, high top of a crest of a wave or just, you know, they've, they've ridden that, that wave, unfortunately, down. And Paul Hartley, I think, is a really good manager who should be given an opportunity at a bigger club. But at this point, there isn't any sort of... Op- so, you know, if you'd, if you'd said you know, maybe six or seven weeks ago when they beat Rangers... And they were in a, looking like in a decent position. You'd say, well, you know, Paul Hartley could be could be the next Aberdeen manager. But now, six defeats later, you're like, well, is he going to get that opportunity? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's a small window. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, my notes for Hamilton County is Donatigo. So fantastic screamer, screamer. Um, and on that bombshell, uh, are we good to go, guys? So is, is that just doing the no hand hand? Gesture, no. Games are. Games are bogey. Um, we are the 90 Minute Cynic. Uh, you can catch us on Spreaker, Spreaker, Spreaker.com slash the 90 Minute Cynic. We're also on iTunes. Um, if you search for 90 Minute Cynic on iTunes, we're the first and only one that pops up. Um, if you could subscribe to us, and if you'd like to leave a positive comment, that's, I mean, that's up to you, but you know, we'd appreciate it. Um, 90minutecynic.com is the website. You can get the supplement. Episode 1 is now in a PDF form. Um, uh, episode 2, episode... Um, edition. Edition 2 will also be in a PDF as soon as possible, with a third edition coming in, in May. Towards the end of May, we're hoping to release it before the cup final. Before the cup final, and hopefully be we'll be involved. Hopefully we'll be involved in that. Um, and uh, yeah, cat catches on at ninety minute cynic on Twitter. That's where all these links are sent out and spread. And if you want to leave any comments about the podcast, um, just tweet us and let us know. Um, Keith McGinty with a hard G. Thank you, Chris Gallagher. That's right. Yeah, Gallagher. That's right. Uh, the Owl, Louis McCaffrey. Thanks, Chris. Um, that was good. Enjoy it. Aye. I did enjoy it. I know it's good. Sweet. I think we I think we delivered. Uh, the freight train, Harpoon. Fun as always. Fun as always. Um, massive thanks to Dan O'Hagan for taking the time. Um, I am Chris Gallagher. We are the 90 Minute Cynic and we'll speak to you down the road. One, two, three.